0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for all your goodness to us. God, in this time, we thank you particularly for your word. We thank you uh, for, God, the way that you have revealed yourself to us um, with this objective source that we have that is your word. Um, you have sent your son into the world to be um, the fullest and most complete revelation of yourself um, and and we have this account of who Jesus is. Um, We know about our Savior because you have um, given this account of who he is uh, in your word, that you have told us the story of his life and death and resurrection in the gospels, God, that, that, um, your, your apostles and, and prophets have interpreted, um, the coming of Jesus Christ for us in light of, of the Old Testament and, and, um, how Jesus comes to fulfill those things in, in their epistles. And so, um, God, we thank you for the word. Um, We thank you for an opportunity to open it and to be taught uh, through the word by your spirit. God, we, um, we thank you for the blessings uh, that come with uh, being a part of a, a local congregation of believers, God we thank you for the freedoms that we have to to gather together and to um, worship with each other. God, we thank you for brother uh, ch- and sister churches um, uh, all throughout Blount County who um, this day have have shared from your word, who have preached in a biblical manner, um, who have uh, spoken um, gospel truths to their congregations and to their communities. God, we ask that through the functioning of your Holy Spirit, you would use those, uh, ordinary means of grace. And by ordinary, we do not mean, um, God, we know that they are supernatural in the way that you are working. And yet they are the typical and the, the week by week, um, way that you have ordained for your word to go forth. God, we ask that, um, lives would be affected that, uh saints would be raised up in those congregations, God, that they would go and share with their neighbors and their families and their co-workers and their friends about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now he is coming to a lost world to save sinners from themselves through his life, death, and resurrection. God, let that be um, the heartbeat of our congregation. And God, as we turn to your word now, um, God, we ask that you would bless Kyle um, as he shares with us, uh, that we would would glean from it what you would have for us today. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. now come on.
1: So our song
2: tonight is Psalm 20. To the Choir Master, the Psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Say all. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving mind of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O oh Lord, save the King. May he answer us when we call. Okay, let's go to the Lord's Prayer. again. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for letting us gather together this evening and sharing the wisdom and truth of your word. We thank you for being a God who wants your people to know you better. God, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear during this time. It's in your son Jesus' holy and very precious Can we pray. Amen. So I came across Psalm 20 last year when I was reading a book called God, Technology in the Christian Life by Tony Reiki. What initially stood out to me were verses 6, 7, and 8. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed; He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. And through the study of these verses, it led me to think about Saul and David's story in 1 Samuel. Saul continually trusted in chariots and horses, while David's trust was in the Lord. Now, as I was reading the stories of Saul and David, I continue to see David's faith throughout the book of 1 Samuel. And it's the same faith reflected in the writing of this psalm. So we'll dig into 1 Samuel here to give some context. We see that the Israelites reject God as king over them and demand an earthly king like the other nations. They believe that an earthly king will lead them in war and protect them, and God mercifully gives the people what they want. And Samuel the prophet anoints Saul the king over Israel. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. Ceremonial anointing um, was the act of pouring sacred oil on someone's head as a symbol that God had chosen and set that person apart for a specific holy purpose. So God selects Saul because he is with the Israelites, but except as a king, he is tall, handsome, strong, and wealthy. And God uses Saul as king to deliver his people from the Philistines. Saul reigns for many years, and he seems to be zealous for God and a competent king. But we see in chapter 13 that Saul, when pressured by an advancing Philistine army, offers a burnt offering unlawfully, and when Samuel confronts Saul of his sin, we're told that Saul makes excuses. He said that he only made the sacrifice in order to gain a favor from God to prevail in battle. Saul basically is using something like a cheat code to try and speed up the process to gain God's blessing even though this does not honor and glorify God. Samuel tells Saul that he has acted foolishly and not kept the command of the Lord, and that because of his unfaithfulness, his kingdom shall not continue. Samuel tells Saul, the Lord has sought out a man after his own worship, and this man will become king of Israel. So Samuel's told Saul that his time is coming to an end, and God has found a new image. It's kind of funny, but we don't really get a reaction from Saul. He doesn't plead and protest. He doesn't make excuses on how he'll do better. I wonder if this is because he doesn't really believe Samuel. More likely, he may just trust his own power and might more than that of God. And we see that this is a reoccurring theme in Saul's life. We later see in chapter 15 that God commands Saul to destroy the Amalekites. God is trying to look after Israel, so he tells Saul through Samuel, Hey, these people have been a thorn in your side since you fled Egypt. And I'm going to bless you in battle and allow you to conquer them, so they are no longer a problem for you. And the scripture says, Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, oxen and sheep, camel and donkey. Saul leads his army to defeat the Amalekites, but he does not sh- destroy everything. He spares Agag their king, keeps the best of their sheep, oxen, fat and calves, everything that he thought was good for himself. But Saul did distribute whatever he, does, he deemed worthless. And maybe from a political or diplomatic point of view, that would be good sense not to kill the king. And naturally, it would make good sense to keep the best of the livestock. But then God tells Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned his back on me and not carried out my commands. Samuel confronts Saul, and Saul says, Well, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to so sacrifice to your God." But the rest we devoted to destruction. Then Samuel asked Saul, what is more honoring to God, offering burnt sacrifices or obeying his word? And Saul almost repents of this. He says, yeah, you're right, he transgressed the commandment of the Lord, and his word, but it was because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He doesn't even take responsibility for what he's done. But then he begs of Samuel, please forgive me and return with me. Don't let it be known to the elders and the people what I've done, so that they may still honor me. And I think we can actually identify with Saul here. How often do we go to a situation knowing what God demands and expects of us, yet we sin against him in the exact way we know we shouldn't, because it's what we think of best in the moment. And then when we're convicted of the sin, we think, okay, God, please just allow me to stay it from my peers or family or church. Please don't expose this sin to others. And only by truly grieving sin as an affront to the most holy God who loves us will we be able to start mortifying sin and seek true forgiveness. Unlike Saul, this is what we must do. Saul's concern is how he's perceived by the people, he is unbothered by God's judgment. God then tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem and anoint one of Jesse's sons, the new king of Israel. God tells him not to look on the son's appearance, for the Lord does not see as man sees, but he sees the heart of him. So Jesse brings all his sons out for Samuel, but none are God's chosen. Jesse says that his youngest is not here, but tending the sheep, and Samuel insists that he bring him there. Then God tells Samuel that this son, David, is the chosen one. Samuel anoints him there in front of his father and brothers, and the Holy Spirit rushed upon David. And at that same moment, the Holy Spirit departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit came upon him and began tormenting him. And Saul's servants became concerned and sought out someone that was skillful in playing the lyre to comfort him. Providentially, it's known that David is a skilled lyre player, and Saul sends for him. David plays for him, and Saul is comforted. Saul loves David greatly and makes him his armor bearer. Now the Philistines once again gathered their armies for battle against Israel, and they had a great champion, Goliath, who was almost ten feet tall, arrayed in the best armor and armed with spear and sword. Goliath challenged the Israelites to put forth a man to fight him. He said that if any man was able to kill him, then the Philistines would become Israel's servants. But if Goliath won, they would serve the Philistines. Goliath would mock and threaten the Israelites day and night, and Saul and his army were terrified, and nobody accepted the challenge. For 40 days this continued, and finally David heard the challenge. The Israelites were saying that whoever defeated Goliath, Saul would make rich and give his daughter as a bride, but David said that Goliath was find the living God and whoever defeated him would remove the shame from Israel and restore God's honor. So David told Saul that the people need not be afraid. He would go and strike down Goliath. Saul was hesitant because David was young and inexperienced in war. But David told him that he had struck down lions and bears while defending his father's flock. And with his trust in the Lord, he would do the same to Goliath. Because Saul loves him, he tries to give David his own armor and sword. But it was not fitting David well, so he refused it. David gathers five smooth stones, and with his sling, goes out to meet Goliath. Goliath mocks and threatens David, but David says to him, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all may know, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hand. Then, da- then David ran to meet Goliath and slung a stone and it struck and sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Because he had no sword, David then reigned and stood over the fallen Philistine and withdrew Goliath's sword from its sheath and cut off his head. Saul saw the formidable challenge in front of him, a ten-foot-tall war machine of a human, and he knew he had nothing to match it. Saul's trust was strictly in the things of the world, weapons, armor, powerful giants. To him, he was hopeless. There was no defeating Goliath. But David defeated Goliath with a sling and a stone and the trust and the Lord. So basically, I just summarized multiple chapters in verse Samuel to give you a picture of the difference in Saul and David's faith. When I, began to study, when I began to study this song. these were the stories that came to me and I wanted to share it with you because I think it's an amazing picture of Saul's trust in worldly and earthly things and David's trust in the Lord. And also, we as Christians today you can see an even more amazing picture. God's perfect providence, his incredible sovereignty and mercy, he uses the Israelite sinful and selfish rejection of him to provide Saul, which leads to David, and eventually to the coming society. So now looking back to Psalm 20, we know that this is a psalm of David, but it is a bit different than many of his other psalms. Broken into three sections, where we see the congregation praying to God about blessing David in verses 1 through 5, and in 6, 7, and 8, we see David praying with his confidence, knowing that all these things have just prayed on his behalf come to fruition. He knows that the Lord will save his anointed. He knows that God will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. And he knows to trust in the name of the Lord. And then verse 9 is the congregation again. O oh Lord, save the key. May he answer us when we call. In this first section, starting with verses 1 and 2, it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May He send you help from the sanctuary, to give you support from Zion. We get a picture here of this being a prayer prayed for David going into battle, but it was also a prophetic prayer for Jesus before He goes to the cross. Jesus is facing a battle against sin and against Satan's power against death. In fact, this whole psalm is a prayer on behalf of David, but we can see how this would be a prayer for the Son of David, Jesus Christ. Verse three says. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Say one. David would have been offering burnt sacrifices before going into battle, and we know that these sacrifices, when done in faith, are, accept, are accepted with favor by God. And so the people were praying on behalf of David: God, please remember our king's offerings and accept his burnt sacrifices. This would imply that God doesn't accept every offering or sacrifice made to Him if done faithfully. Just like we see with Saul's unfaithful sacrifices in 1 Samuel. But David would be offering the sacrifice in faith, knowing that one day there would be an ultimate sacrifice to make all things right and cover all sins. Jesus offered the sacrifice, always remembered and accepted before God. And we don't have to make our own sacrifices for our sins because of Jesus' work on the cross. And we can't, even if we could, it wouldn't be worthy. So Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. Then we continue in verse four. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill your plans. We know when David was praying this, he had just one desire. It was to defend the people of God and the kingdom and covenant with God. David's heart was in alignment with God's word. His desire was in alignment with God's desire. So we ourselves can pray this prayer confidently when our heart's desires is in alignment with God, which means we need to first pray that God will bring our desires in alignment with his. Not only should we pray, but we should pray with an open Bible. We should pray expecting God to use his word to help us align our heart and plans with his. This is the normal means that we learn who God is and what he would have for us. We can imagine that this was Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It was his desire to perfectly fulfill God's purpose in redeeming his people. Then in verse 5, he says, May we shout for joy over, over your salvation, and in the name of our God and of our banners, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. The we here is the congregation shouting for joy over David's salvation. They're rejoicing over his saving in battle. They've prayed verses 1 through 4, asking of God, and here in verse 5, they're rejoicing that their prayer has been answered, that King David is going to be saved, and he will be victorious. This can also be true of Jesus. Jesus is the one whose every petition, whose every prayer was answered. Jesus prayed and was confident that he would have victory over sin and death on the cross, and we can shout for joy over that victory. We read in Romans, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We see the confidence that God's people have, and it continues into verse 6. Verses 6 through 8 for the reason that I wanted to preach in this song. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. You see this picture of the type of faith and trust that David has in the Lord. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He changes the tone here from a prayer that is asking the Lord to remember his offerings and sacrifices and grant his heart's desire to, to speaking with confidence that the Lord saves his anointed. This points to God's mercy and faithfulness. God uses the will of the people wanting a human king and gives them David who was a man after his own heart. But at times when we do see David fail, it's because he was his sight and trusts in the Lord and instead trusts in himself. Like Saul and David, we all place our trust in something. As Christians, our trust needs to be in God and his plans for us, his desires for us, his promises to us. And we should have faith and rest in that truth. But what we tend to do is put our trust in the things of the world, the chariots and horses. Chariots and horses aren't bad things in and of themselves. And chariots and horses aren't bows and arrows and swords and shields. Chariots and horses aren't devastating weapons anymore. So with that thought, I'm not just saying we shouldn't put our trust in small, little, single things in our lives. I'm recognizing the bigness and power and importance of these things. Chariots and horses are not evil. It's not e- evil to use them. They can be a gift from God. Those are incredible and devastating weapons that can be used to turn the tides in battle. What my point is, is to not have trust in the technology, but the creator who worked the means to give us the technology. So an example of this might be the trust we have in our smartphones. I truly think this is something that people can make it an from And it sounds pretty silly to say that people are putting their trust in smartphones, but there are studies upon studies of the amount of time people spend looking at their phones. And I'm not even going to talk about the detrimental effects this has on mental, social, and spiritual health. That's another sermon in itself. But what I do see in myself is a reluctance to give up this technology. I go through spells where I think I would just prefer to go back to having a foot phone. And then, you know, I really love that camera on my phone. I really appreciate being able to use the GPS when going someplace new. And it's almost football season, and I have to be able to check to see if my fancy football trade is accepted. But I also waste a lot of time scrolling mindlessly. And I justify that to myself by either saying, well, I want to keep up with friends and send them funny videos I come across on Instagram. I'm using it for the news. I need to know what's going on in the world. But I know this stuff is not for my ultimate good. Especially when you think about the access to news today, we genuinely spend so much of our lives consumed with having to know what the latest news story is. And it's impossible to know all of it because it's an endless supply. And we have unlimited access. But people seriously fear the thought of not knowing constantly what's going on in <laughs> the Tony Rickey says in his book, Technology seeks to fill a spiritual void in us to make us feel secure. And our phones totally do that. And of course, the media and the politicians want us to do this. They want us to be able, they want to be able to tell us how and when to feel about something. Ranky says again, whenever insecurities rattle a nation, it's leaders grab for techno security. They turn to a savior. Whenever life is uncertain, God's word reminds us to trust in God's security, not in man's armory. And we should remember that. And we know that we have way more technology in our pockets than NASA did when they put a man on the moon. That's a crazy thought and one that I don't think we should be so aware about. Another more serious example, I think that comes to mind that is these incredible, but not ultimate and saving gifts from God is modern medicine. It's interesting because modern medicine is a miracle. It is. It helps us in so many ways. But Recky says, Medicine traditionally offered us the curative, palliative, and preventative. But now it offers us the augmentative. So medicine used to cure sicknesses and diseases. And if we had illnesses that couldn't be cured with medicine, at least the medicine would help us feel better. Or the medicine would help us prevent having these illnesses in the first place. But now, in some cases, medicine has been made into an idol. It is now augmentative. Society now says... But we have this technology, so we should use it to create the best version of ourselves. Think about the Neuralink technology with Elon Musk and the question posed is, what if we could turn our brains into a supercomputer? Wouldn't that make our lives better? Or what if we decide we feel like a different gender? Now we have the technology to change our bodies and give the appearance of that gender. Or I don't want to have babies right now, so I'll do something to my body to prevent getting pregnant because I think that's what's best. Or more tragically, Oops, I did get pregnant, but I don't want to have this baby, so there's technology that can destroy the baby in its most vulnerable state. And if you decide you do actually to have the baby, now there are technologies and scientists that are working towards being able to genetically modify babies in the embryo, changing the baby's cells in order to produce a baby with a certain eye color, or certain higher appearance, or even attempting to control whether that baby is a boy or girl. We're told by the world that all these things are good that all lead to progress. It's a weird thing, because medicine is such a blessing that we should praise God for. But There comes a point where we are no longer happy with the gift. We decide that we want to play God. It's something we need to be cognizant of. At what point are we trusting in God, and at what point are we trusting in ourselves, in our own technology, our own chariots and horses? Especially with medicine, people don't want to grow old and die. The thing is, This is what every single human on earth has in common. Everybody will one day die. And people are terrified of that reality. And it's obvious because they don't have trust in God. They don't have trust in the Savior or in heaven. A Lord and Savior that saves them from their sins and gives them eternal life. So what do they try to do? Try to extend life. And then there are even those who play with the realities of consciousness. They say, well, our physical bodies have to die. We can't figure out how to prevent that. We don't have a cure for death, so wouldn't it be cool if we could maybe implant our consciousness into some sort of computer and live forever in the cloud? This is the actual reality that scientists are attempting to do. Man, what a weird idea for Christians. Even if it were possible, it's so sad to think that you would be trapped forever on this earth in the cloud. Very weird, twisted way of thinking, but it's a thinking that's worldly. If you have no hope in the life after this, maybe that sounds like a whole lot better than just going into the ground. But we know that we have a soul, but not just simply going in the ground, or in the cloud for that matter. Psalm thirty-three seventeen says, The workforce is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. We Christians know the great dilemma that humanity is in. We are fallen humans living in a fallen world completely dependent on the saving power of Jesus Christ. In the final paragraph in the, t- in the chapter entitled, What Can Technology Never Accomplish? Tony Rickey remarks, God deposited a wealth of innovations and technological potential in the creation, not to lead us into temptation, but to reveal what we most love will replace our greatest trust. That may be in God, That may be in chariots, missiles, cyber war, vaccines, dataism, AI, or anti-aging discoveries. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is the human dilemma. Human innovation is a wonderful gift, but a disappointing God. We cannot save ourselves. In the end, our innovations leave hearts unsatisfied, souls lost, and bodies cold in the grave. God created the chariot maker and he created the horses. The technology which cannot save is not evil, but it becomes sin when it is made into an idol. We should praise God for his good gifts, but rest and trust in him alone to save. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse, but we fall. They collapse and fall, but we stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. David closes in verse 9 and just continues that same prayer. It reemphasizes the prayer that the whole song is praying, to protect the king and protect David. This whole prayer is being prayed because of David's trust in the Lord. And we can pray. God, please remember your son. Please remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us and save us. God, we pray that our heart's desire lines up with your and you allow us to fulfill your plans. May we shout for joy over Christ's saving work on the cross. May we rejoice in that work and its saving power for us as sinners. Answer our prayers, we know that you saved your anointed. We know that you saved Christ. We are saved in him. Second Corinthians one twenty one says, And it is God who establishes us with you, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us. We know Jesus is the ultimate anointed one. And that in him, we are included in that anointing. And we pray that we avoid the temptation to trust in the good gifts that you've given us in the chariots and horses and trust in you alone. In closing, as Christians, we need to beware of the temptation to put our trust in chariots and horses. The world does this. And we're being influenced by the things around us all the time. But they don't see these give, they don't see these things as gifts from God, but we can. We need to make sure that our trust is in him, not in these chariots and horses. So let's go to
1: the Lord in prayer and ask him to do this for us.
2: <clears throat> God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for our church and the opportunity to look at your work together. God, we thank you for your many blessings, and we ask that you please help us remember to always put our trust in you. God, thank you for allowing us to share in the anointing and victory of your son, Jesus. Please help us share this truth with the world and be a light for you. God, we love you and your son, Jesus, and it's in his holy and very precious name we pray. Mm -hmm. Amen.
1: Please stand and sing and Roads of noise and rain, they let the rain, rain sun hail in. the time of a point, let his rain on earth we die. rain on earth we die. rain of the vision and said, You me. And you take away each man's vision to get old and The Lord's up and the this time of morning, earthly earthly I'm the the and i and then we be strong. If it's soft, it's for that God turns you to light. So to bend die, i yet in his sight. I'm the Lord of the voice, I The skaid of His the time of Miz, is rain on earth to be on earth down, Thine shall, from the group Joy and hope, thine flowers, bringing back to the earth. time to it's time to it's never for good, his name was his love. The Lord every day to the sweet of sun, the time of appointed, his name on earth be done. His name on be in the time the Lord's every day the rain in the time appointed, it's rain on it's rain
0: Amen. Uh Kyle, thanks. Um, so it's been a cool month where we've gotten to hear from a couple of guys. Um, thank you to to Kyle and Tim particularly for you guys willing to step up and step out and and uh come up here in the pulpit and and share with us. I know that's a um I think I've you know made the comment before, like people are more scared of public speaking than they are of dying. Like that's a real thing, right? When people list their fears, they're like number one, public speaking, number two, death. Okay. And so, you know, it seems like a simple thing to come and speak before people, but it's actually like something that's, that's very daunting to, to many people. And so thank you guys for coming. Um, James, thank you for sharing also this month. Um, and, um, just want to remind you guys that, that part of the process of some of these things is we are in this next business meeting, in this next members meeting that we are coming up on in a week. Um, we are going to, I'm going to come and present to you candidates for eldership in our church. Um, we've, we've talked about this process before, but I want to, to remind you because we've still got kind of a week coming up is, um, I am always eager to hear your thoughts on these things. And so if you've got people in the church who you say, Ash, I would like to recommend this person because, because I trust them and I, and I think they would do a good job in terms of eldership. I would love to hear from you. See, you can text me, you can email me, you can come and have a face to face conversation with me or whatever. Um, you may not have those people. You may say, no, I'm, I'm not in a position or know people well enough or whatever. So I'm just going to trust in the decisions of the church and, and, uh, and Ash's leadership and we're just going to trust in those things, but. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you we are going to present, or I am going to present candidates for eldership at the at the business meeting. What that will look like is I'll present them, um, and then we'll just leave them out there. And so then that'll will wait at least until the next business meeting, which will be two months later. That will be July, August, September's business meeting before we. Um, before we potentially move on those and vote on them as a congregation, uh, that'll give the congregation some time to mill over that and, and and whatever. But but I would encourage you in the next week, if you've got somebody that you would like to um, to recommend, um, even if you think, oh, well, I know so and so already recommended that person. I, I want to hear it again. Right. Because that's part of that that encouraging confirmation process. if every single one of you call me up and say I think this person should be an elder, then that isn't you know that that's that's encouraging okay And so um, but that'll be part of what we do. That's part of the reason why we want to take a little bit of extra time next um, next week when we have our business meeting. So hope to see you at three o'clock for that. Um, other than that, hope you have a great week. Um, keep on your calendar. Remember to sign up for things as you walk out the door. Remember Saturday is our fellowship at Metcalf Bottoms. Sunday night is is uh, members' meeting. Um, hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn His face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.